Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. COVID numbers at an all-time high since May in Ontario. TDSB virtual students teaching themselves today and more answers on a potential hate crime outside an Etobicoke mosque. All of that coming up. Let's get to it. Man, it's a kick in the pants. 478. God! you got to be kidding me. You're right, Doug. you got to be kidding me. What does it all mean? And how do we process it? How do we take these numbers and put them in some context of our lives, our behavior, you know, how we digest this news? How much longer can we stay on this kind of trajectory without significant change? We're not going to be able to. And we're moving towards Thanksgiving and the numbers are going up, up, up. Keep in mind, it's a two-week lag time. So the numbers you're seeing today and tomorrow and the day after, that all comes before, you know, the hammer came down late last week with the change in gathering sizes where people started to say, you know what, I think maybe I'll take this a little bit more seriously. So hopefully that means that this spike will level off. But as we move towards Thanksgiving... The question increasingly is going to be, what are we going to do? We got to do something else. The pressure will increase. You know, I have an idea. How about the Ford government stops with the pithy quotes and gets with actually managing a second wave? If we weren't so backlogged on MRIs, I'd send you to the MRI to get your brain scanned because I just, I don't think there's anything in there. Thank you, Doug Ford, of course, playing some of the hits from yesterday's press conference where Doug Ford in that clip you just heard there was talking about a car meet over the weekend in Ancaster and Premier Doug, dad, Premier dad, remember that was used to be McGinty, but you know, now the finger wagging populist Premier Doug Ford goes off. Here's some more numbers to look at. As I get out of this MRI, more numbers to look at here. 34,000 tests in the last 24 hours. But look at this number, 39,000 pending. So again, the you gap between... you be kidding me. Uh, uh, look, Doug, it's important. So the gap between process tests and pending tests continues to expand. And here's something that's even more concerning. I think this is the most concerning number I've seen today, and that is hospitalizations are up by 17. What we have seen in this recent surge that is different from the surge in April is that we haven't seen the hospitals uh, being inundated with patients. And much of that is ascribed to the fact that it's much younger people getting COVID-19, therefore it's not as serious, but it's also a lag time. So as the numbers go up two weeks later, that's when the numbers show up in the hospital. So that's a concern at plus 17. And all of it, all of it begs for a plan, does it not? What's the plan? What do we, how, are we ready? This is the second wave. It's here. And on Monday... Doug Ford was asked about those testing numbers and the backlog. I don't know if we have this one. You got this one? 
That, that is weak. <laughs> All right. No, I, I think I'm, I might have made a mistake on that. This one's on me. What he said was it's an increasing concern that we don't have the kind of reagent. We don't, even though we might open the testing centers for longer, and even though we might send in these mobile squads to go in and test areas like they did in Peel, I, that's all great. And that's going to move the line a little bit. That's good. But it doesn't mean that we actually have the capacity to process the tests. And that is vital. Because in that lineup, you've got symptomatic and asymptomatic. And as far as I can tell, there's no triage in terms of the testing regimen to say, you know, that's a symptomatic uh, test right there. That one goes to the front of the line. And that's a big problem. The only person that's been invisible is the leader of the opposition. (laughs) Doug, we're going to get to you. That is weak, Doug. It's weak. Uh, That is weak. It's weak. So... We have testing lineups. In schools, we have more chaos. We're going to get to that in our next segment about what happened with parents in this province or or in this city. This is what I got. I was like, okay, my kid's going to do some remote learning. Oh, no, apparently not. Still all on me. Still all on me. Now, the, the answer from Doug Ford on testing has been, you know, this thing happened overnight. Oh, Friday there was nobody in line. And, oh, Monday there's a line. Uh, that is weak. Well, that's exactly what I said when I heard that excuse. Because that would have been fine maybe a week or so ago. You know, and then you get the ramp up and you're there. But we're still seeing the lineups. They're still there. And all of this seems to be really kind of getting under Doug Ford's skin. Because in the House today, remember Doug Ford promised going in to this new session of Queens Park, that he was going to be, he's going to get along with everybody, he's going to work with everybody, but it it sure seems that this one got under his skin this morning because he was pressed about long-term care. And specifically, as we see these numbers heading back up, hospitalizations going back up, is it true that we truly have protected long-term cares? Are the seniors... Being protected? Is that iron ring a real thing? Well, Andrew Horvath stood up in the house today and said, that iron ring is invisible. And man, did that get Doug Ford kind of ticked off. The only person that's been invisible is the leader of the opposition. It's been invisible by Casper the Ghost for the last six months. And for the leader of the opposition to stand up like an armchair quarterback, Monday morning quarterback, and tell us how the game's been going, when my great minister, both ministers here, have been working around the clock, doing everything we possibly can. All right, that's Doug Ford in the house today. I'm just taking the, down the score sheet. Uh, we got one armchair quarterbacking and one Casper the ghosting. And then... The Premier finishes up with this bon mot. The goal. The goal of her is staggering. Absolutely staggering. (laughs) (laughs) You know, say what you want. Uh, Doug Ford is a performer in the house because I'm, you know, I'm not playing all the hits from Andrea Horvath because she can't communicate quite the same way. But at the same time, despite 
all of the pithy quotes, as I say, there remains the reality. There are lineups. There is a backup in testing. We're not ready. And, and to suggest that you have some gall to ask a question about, you know, uh, are you sure about those long-term care homes? The gall. Uh, that is weak. It's weak. The gall of it all. Here's something else, a little fact-checked for you. You got 429 bucks. You got some cash because if you need a COVID test and you just don't have the time, you don't have the time, 429 bucks will get you a private mobile at-home COVID test. That, no kidding. This is something that has popped up because, you know, the market will bear. And people are saying, I don't have the time. Like, here, here's a story I can tell you. Uh, I, I have an acquaintance uh, Two kids, the one kid in school sneezes, and the teacher says, is your nose runny? And the kid says, yep, because you know what happens when you sneeze? Sometimes your nose runs. Next thing you know, kid and sibling sent home, can't come back to school without a COVID test. You've got to be kidding me. Exactly. You have got to be kidding me. Now, how are you supposed to go to work? And what are you going to do? You going to go? You going to go and you know get a lawn chair, go line up, spend your day, bring the iPad, or are you going to shell out the four twenty nine? Well, the Minister of Health was asked about this this morning. Hey, wait a second, is this what we want in this province, Minister? There are some private operators out there that are proposing some of these tests, and we're examining this in the ministry to understand uh, whether that can continue or not. But what we're really focused on is increasing the volume of our tests. Huh. Uh huh. We're not. That's what we're focused on, and we're gonna we're gonna check in to see whether or not this is you know in a public health system whether this is actually something you can do. Those numbers are not great today, 478, the case number. I do warn against getting too tied into the daily number because it doesn't help your gut, not a bit. Uh, if you got an ulcer, uh, it'll set it off. If you don't have an ulcer, it'll give you one. Uh, that pay. is weak. Well, I, I'm trying to encourage Doug, Doug Ford with us. Uh, I'm trying to encourage people to take a, a longer view of this because you can get wrapped up in the numbers and then that makes you super uh super sad maybe a little depressed and it's it's tough especially you know the the days are getting shorter you know it's got that fall weather to it and you know, it feels like the dark is kind of coming in does it not but it doesn't have to be that way uh we can turn it around i think we already are i think people have heard the wake-up call at least i hope so because the most important thing is to be able to keep the kids in school. And for those of us who have kids in school, it's vital they remain there. And for those that are looking for support for at-home learning, 
Well, it's vital that that is there, too, and it didn't show up today in the TDSB for a lot of parents. That's what happened when they got up this morning. Now, here is Ryan Bird from the TDSB explaining what happened. The number of kids, about 60,000. If you look at both secondary, which also starts today, uh, and elementary, we've got about 78,000 students that are starting virtual learning. Uh, that number was in the 50s of thousands uh, just a week and a half to two weeks ago. It then went up to about 63,000. Then it's going up to the low 70s. And now we're at 78,000 students, which is, when you look at total enrollment, larger than most school boards in Ontario. So it's that staffing process to keep up with the, the demand that we've seen over the last couple of weeks that's been really difficult as we try to hire more and more teachers just to keep up with the number of students. That is Ryan Bird from the Toronto District School Board explaining what was behind the staggered start this morning. Vanessa Jewett has two kids in the TDSB system in grades three and in senior kindergarten joins me on the line. Hi, Vanessa. Hi. How was it this morning? What happened? Well, there wasn't much going on. There were some virtual activities that were available for my kids um, that I had to walk them through and videos they could choose to walk, watch, which were live, but, you know, were for all of the children in their grade that didn't have a teacher yet, which I can only assume is a lot. Um, so we did some of that, and then we went to the park to have a distance recess with their friends who are also doing virtual school. And did you just find out last night or was it this morning that you discovered that your child was one without a teacher? It was this morning. I was pretty sure by last night that they weren't going to have a teacher. I, I'm fairly active in groups on Facebook that, you know, parents share this information and the ones who had teachers were sharing it yesterday. So I figured between, you know, 10 p.m. last night and 7 this morning, not much was going to happen. <laughs> Uh, your kids are pretty young. The one that was in SK, if this was the before times, would they be in full-day kindergarten and after-school care and all of that? Uh, full-day kindergarten, but not after-school care. But not necessarily after. So, obviously, uh, you know, the fact that now this is still, you know, falling on you as the parent, mm-hmm. like you say, you have to walk the kids through it. Uh, <laughs> how are you handling that? Oh, I guess it's not all that different than, um, you know, late in the school year, last school year, you know, from March through June. Um, you know, I'm kind of used to it, but I also got used to being able to, I do work from home. I got used to being able to to do a lot more work over the summer because we didn't, you know, we didn't have school activities to do. And the activities that we, that I saw this morning, the, the asynchronous activities had dates on them Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, which was disappointing. (laughs) I was hoping that for sure they'd have their teacher tomorrow or Thursday, but it looks like maybe next week. So this is going to be the way it is going to be for longer than I think anybody hoped or expected. Yes, it looks like it. Uh, I just want to play this for you. This uh, Let's get back to Ryan Bird because he specifically was asked this question this morning. How long is it going to take for teachers to be in place? This is Ryan Bird from the TDSB. Speaking with the staff this morning, the 300 teachers that were identified yesterday will take a couple of days to get up online. So, you know, that will be probably Wednesday, Thursday, that they'll be able to start their online classrooms or virtual classrooms. We're hoping 
to get most, if not all, conducted this week. Might there be the odd class that creeps into ne- next week? It's possible. Uh, but my understanding is that we're doing well by working through the numbers. So we're hoping to get everyone uh, online and learning this week. Uh, that is Ryan Bird answering about when uh, all the teachers might be in place for online learning. I'm just wondering what your, I guess that's not a surprise at all from what you're seeing on the schedule, Vanessa. No, it's not too big of a surprise. Um, I suppose the upside is we can get used to doing, you know, this year's schooling slowly. <laughs> the slow transition into You've figuring got out to how be to be kidding me. All right, Doug Ford just uh, jumping in there. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, I'm in the same boat. I have a, I have a daughter in, in grade 10, uh, mm-hmm. and because of the way the system is working, she's actually got, like, one class. Oh. And, you know, you, you know, so, it, you know, you, you go from a parent to sort of hovering over your child saying, like, are you getting it done? Are you getting it done? Are you getting it done? And then you realize, well, there's not that much to do. So, right. I mean, you know, might as well go back to playing video games. Yes, I know. I'm bribing my children to finish the tiny bits of work they do have so that they can play their video games after. <laughs> uh, how... How are you going to manage this for the, the at least the, sh- the short term? Like you say, uh, this has an impact on your ability to work from home. Well, part of the reason my children are in virtual school is because they are very close with their grandparents and their grandparents do a lot of like helping and babysitting. So we may have to call on them a little bit more than usual this week. I see. And that was the impetus for keeping them out of class in the first place. Yeah, because they provide more sort of care for us than school would and we don't do aftercare or that kind of thing and you know it's, it's nice to be able to see your grandparents yeah i was speaking with uh, vanessa jewett who has got uh, two kids in the tdsb system that were signed up for uh, remote learning and discovered today that they do not have a teacher much like uh, many kids in the same boat right across the city vanessa just to you know to hear the tone in your voice you, you don't sound particularly upset you just sort of seem resigned Yes, I think it is resignation because it's not a surprise at this point because there's been so much promise and then it it got pushed back and it got pushed back again and it got pushed back again. And then, you know, we weren't we didn't get any communication. So you had to assume it wasn't happening. All right. Well, let's hope it uh, gets going and that, uh, as you heard Ryan Bird say there, that it is in place by late this week or early next week at the latest. Vanessa, thank you so much for taking some time today. No problem. Thank you. The Prime Minister of this country tweeting out recently that my heart goes out to the loved ones of Mohammed Aslim Zafis. The reports that his murder was motivated by neo-Nazism and Islamophobia are extremely concerning. We stand with Muslim communities against such hatred, which has no place in Canada. We are with you. That is from the Prime Minister following the murder of a volunteer in a mosque in Rexdale. And there has been an arrest in that case. And if you don't know the background of the case, you probably uh, understood from that tweet from the Prime Minister. There is reporting now that there is perhaps a link to neo-Nazism and Islamophobia to get a better understanding of what, what we know and what police are actually saying in this case. Uh, I'm pleased to welcome back to the program our crime specialist, Catherine McDonald. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Ellen. 
Let's begin with the accused, uh, the 34-year-old, his name and, and what we know about him. Yes, his name is Guillaume uh, William von Nutigem, and he lived in Etobicoke. Um, from what I understand, police uh, have said they are looking at whether he was motivated by hate, uh, but uh, so far they haven't laid any hate crime charges. Now, the Canadian Anti-Crime, Anti-Hate Network uh, says uh, they think police need to bring in an expert, an outside expert, because they think it's quite clear based on uh, the accused social media footprint, that he is an adherent of a Nazi Satanist movement. And uh, they are encouraging the Toronto police to lay this charge. Um, according to the, the executive director of this group, the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, he says it's quite clear that Von Nudigem was following um, this group. He was an adherent uh, because... Um, uh, he posts a quite a you know he posts a black sun on his YouTube account. Uh, he has a, a chant that this group uh, from this group, uh, and he writes like he is a, a follower of the group, uh, and that group actually encourages its uh, followers to carry out uh, killings, um, and it, it tells them they are getting closer to achieving a satanic empire. This group apparently worships Hitler, and they believe his preoccupation with the occult. Um, and the whole the Holocaust, they say, was his attempt to create this satanic empire. So very, very concerning. From what I understand with Toronto Police, you know, it's one thing uh, to say this man was uh, an adherent to a neo-Nazi group, uh, but whether they have the evidence uh, that that this man, uh, Mohammed Aslam Zafis, was targeted because he was a Muslim is a different story. Um, they we're pleased to be able to lay that charge. They, they need to prove that, in fact, um, this attack was motivated that way. Uh, perhaps uh, that would mean they need the kind of evidence like on, on a social media post. He might have written somewhere that uh, he, he wanted to uh, kill people who had this uh, re- religious affiliation or he, he might, might have made an utterance. And, and that's where they need that kind of evidence to be able to lay, lay this charge. But people with this anti-hate uh, Canadian anti-hate crime group say, no, 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 they think there's enough here on his, on social media. A lot of it has already been taken down. Kathy, is he not charged with first degree premeditation? Yes, he is charged with first degree. Would that not indicate that police would have some kind of evidence that this was not just some sort of, you know, random uh, unpremeditated encounter that he had some premeditation? Would that not speak to him? means they believe that he uh, planned this um but did he plan to just go up to someone at the mosque did he plan to go up did what was he planning we don't know what evidence they have to have laid that charge certainly we know that they've gone in uh and executed warrants i i've been told he's my sources tell me they've executed warrants uh both at an apartment where he lived with his uh his ex-wife and at an apartment where he was living with his father at the time of his arrest. I've actually spoken to people who say the police were at that apartment where he lived with his dad prior to the arrest. They were there for four days. And, of course, they're going to be looking at his computers and, and you know, mulling, going through all all what, what, what he posted, his emails back and forth to people. Uh, you know, this, this Canadian Anti-Hate Network says he also, on looking at his Twitter account, which is still very much, act, you know, live, he follows a number of uh, people who are also connected with uh, neo-Nazi groups. So this is where police have have to be very careful that if they do lay this charge, uh, you know, can they prove it? Uh, the Canadian Anti-Hate Network says it, they need to lay this charge to send a message, you know, that, that, that hate will not be tolerated. 
have the police responded? Has uh, Hank, uh, the it, he's detective sergeant, right? Insinga, uh, has he's he responded? Inspector of homicide. Inspector, pardon me. Uh, yeah, he he has not. He has all he has said is that they are continuing to investigate motive, and right now they they have not laid that charge. Look, they have this man in custody. He's in. He's not going anywhere, and, and they have time to lay this further charge. So this could come. Uh, certainly, I don't think police need to rush this. And of course, if they're doing a forensic audit of the computer, which is certainly what they are doing, having gone in and gone into these apartments, uh, that's going to take some time. Uh, anything further on the other murder, the other unsolved murder that I believe was five days uh, prior to the murder of uh, uh, Mr. Zafis? Yeah, so that's a homeless man who was found under a bridge along a trail on the Humber River, Rampreet Singh. Uh, from what I understand, that they continue to investigate whether uh, this man has any connection to that homicide, but still no charges. And what's next? Does, um, does the accused have a court date at this point? From what I understand, he, he will be back in court on Friday. Uh, obviously, we're going to keep monitoring this case, and the police could lay this charge at any time. But from what I've been told, they're... They don't that they want to make sure they get it right. And they want to make sure a charge sticks. So if they don't have the evidence to lay this charge, uh, they probably won't. But I'm sure they'd like to because, uh, you know, I'm, they're getting a lot of pressure from groups. Uh, the National Council of Canadian Muslims is also saying uh, we'd like this, you know, them to investigate this as a hate crime. I, I'll be speaking with someone from that organization today. And certainly the Canadian Anti-Hate Network uh, believes that police should be they think there's a pretty clear uh, footprint here on social media that shows that he was an adherent to, the, to this uh, ideology. Catherine McDonald is our crime specialist. Looking forward to your report tonight on Global News at 5.30. Catherine, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Obviously an extremely concerning case. And, you know, I think Kath makes a good point there that, you know, police don't need to rush. They don't. This gentleman... He's in custody. He's not going to make bail. Uh, They can comb through his social media and they can make absolutely sure that a charge is going to stick. Interesting, though, that, you know, here on the other side, the urging of the police to do that and to do it just at least to give the message, if nothing else, to give the message. I got an update on coronavirus cases from Quebec. This number just coming in. 489 cases for Quebec today. We're 478. Here's the other thing that's particularly concerning about Quebec. I talked about the hospitalization numbers up uh, here in Ontario, but the hospitalization numbers in Quebec up 28% in the last four days. So that's a real concern. As we see that sort of lagging indicator and the numbers go up and then... But a week or two later, that's when you see hospitalization starting to tick up as well. We haven't seen them grow with the same kind of pace that they did back in April and May. But nevertheless, keep your eye on that number. I I would look more at that number, frankly, in many ways than the case numbers. Obviously, the case numbers tell their own story. But it's that hospitalization number where, you know, are we getting to a point where we're starting to put a strain on the system? That's the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch The Alan Carter Show weekdays starting at noon.